This show is brought to you by CIUT Studios. Find out how to volunteer, advertise, or donate at CIUT.FM. Welcome to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And my name is Sebastian. I'm going to turn you up just a smidge because that was a little quiet. <gasps> oh, no, you're way too loud. You know, I'm just, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We're all fine. We're going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> yeah, actually, I wanted to start off with, uh, not, we have lots of Canadian stories today. Very excited <laughs> about that. But I want to start off with something not very Canadian, and that is the incredible and talented Lily Savage. Mm-hmm. There's a certain character and a certain, <laughs> um, just like working housewife vibe mm-hmm. to Lily Savage. Do you know who Lily Savage is? I know, I know the pedigree that Lily Savage comes from. Um, there, there is a certain style of... Uh, Kind of a a a a, a De Medna style of of lovely old lady who lives next door drag character. Um, she was she was nothing like a lovely old lady next door. <laughs> Lily Savage was the drag persona of the incredibly talented British broadcaster Paul O'Grady. Uh, now, unfortunately, Paul O'Grady passed away uh, earlier last week. Now. The reason why I, we're mentioning it on today's show is because we've talked a lot in the past about the cultural impact of RuPaul mm-hmm. and RuPaul's Drag Race in particular and sort of that uh, uh, the the ubiquitous of the New York ball scene on drag and sort of what that, uh, what that looks like. Well, mm-hmm. Dame Edna is, you know, the RuPaul of, of Australia mm-hmm. in terms of cultural impact. Yes. And Lily Savage was really the RuPaul of Britain in terms of drag cultural impact. And we still see that, you know, we see a little bit less now because uh, RuPaul has had a, you know, a, a generational impact now in Britain. Yep. But for many, many years, you know, British drag queens, they didn't sing and they didn't sing and lip sync necessarily, but they would walk the, the stage and do one of the most hilariously filthy stand-up routines that you can mm-hmm. possibly ever imagine. It was it, more a form of stand-up, yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Now, Lily Savage reminds me if it's, you know, it's after work, uh, the ladies have come off their shift doing, you mm-hmm. know, factory work or cleaning or whatever, and, you know, salt-of-the-earth kind of ladies that have put in mm-hmm. a hard day's graft. And they come in, they've had a couple of uh, G&Ts, and now this. And she's the chattiest in the group. That's Lily Savage right there. Dot from EastEnders. Dot from EastEnders is a very good uh, very good comparison. <laughs> so, yeah, we were we were pretty gutted. Even RuPaul tweeted uh, condolences for the passing of the incredibly talented Paul O'Grady. Uh, what I didn't know until recently is that Paul O'Grady essentially retired his drag persona of Lily Savage in 2005 after his uh, late husband had passed away. Uh, very much feeling that... Uh, 
his late husband had been such a key part in that character mm -hmm. that when he passed, Lily passed as well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, this is uh, this is a huge blow to LGBT folks in Britain. Uh, mm -hmm. Paul O'Grady has done incredible work advocating for gay rights. Uh, in Britain over decades and decades as one of Britain's uh, most favoured broadcasters. Uh, he did the work with the Battersea Dog Shelter and, and had like BBC primetime shows trying to get uh, dogs rehomed. And, uh, and he was a key entertainment uh, presenter as well. Very much a precursor to Graham Norton. I feel okay. like a lot of folks may be aware of Graham Norton. I think some of his uh, interviews have gone viral and uh, people may be a little bit uh, familiar with him. But it's very sad to see a generational icon passing away and uh, that legacy of drag moving a little bit with him. Mm -hmm. the, the the Canadian equivalent would be Meadow in Montreal. Mm. Uh, also uh, very rough, very salt to the earth. More of a stand-up routine than what most people would think of as being a drag act, but Meadow actually did sing and occasionally lip-sync, but mostly actually sang and encouraged people in the Montreal scene to have uh, an act that really was more like that as well, more of a stand-up routine with actual singing and less lip syncing and you saw a little bit of that in the the drag race canada when some of the montreal queens were on there actually performing and, and doing a lot more clowning kind of routines yeah and we yeah. could see the legacy of lily savage in bag of chips and the vivian on drag race uk uh, our uh, otia coffee was also another hilarious uh, iteration of that legacy of satirical um pub entertainer drag you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's it's not ballroom. It is uh, slapdash, funny and fun, uh, and mm -hmm. maybe not appropriate for your grandmother unless she's had a couple of gin and tonics. In which case, anything goes. So that's <laughs> that's uh, where we are. I, I don't know. It's you didn't know my grandmother. <laughs> well, I've seen you after a couple of gin and tonics, Sebastian, and uh, if it's even remotely hereditary, uh, I suspect I may be able to jump to a conclusion or two. So that's uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, mm -hmm. Although it has been a little while since we got uh, gin drunk, the two of us, so maybe that'll well, be uh, our ambition for this weekend. Eurovision does happen in about a month and a half. It does. I'm in Toronto that weekend, so uh, that's a great point. If anyone wants to watch Eurovision with us, let us know. We might try and arrange uh, a small viewing uh, party, as it were, uh, for long-time listeners of our show. Uh, we go a bit Eurovision mad. Uh, for those who have no idea what I'm talking about, which I think mm -hmm. would be astonishing, but there we go. Eurovision is the largest singing competition in the world. It mm -hmm. is absolutely massive. It is streamed to the whole of Europe, pretty much, uh, including Russia when they participate and mm -hmm. aren't busy invading anybody. Um, but then also Eurovision includes those famous European countries, uh, Israel and Australia. Uh, they also participate. I believe uh, last year or the year before, it was streamed in China, the United mm -hmm. States, and Canada. I think TVO carries it. You know, here a in lot Canada. of people make comments about Israel and Australia, but nobody seems to blink when you bring up the fact that Azerbaijan is in there. I mean, Azerbaijan is a much closer European neighbor than Australia. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
You could walk to Azerbaijan. It might take you a few days, but you would really struggle to not drown if you tried to walk to Australia. I'm just, <laughs> that's, that's essentially where I'm going to leave it. But it is a ridiculously camp show. Um, I mm-hmm. don't have any Eurovision songs lined up for today, so count your lucky stars. And it's also worth pointing out, depending on the year, uh, it's either the Olympics, the FIFA World Finals, or Eurovision are the most watched program yeah. per viewer. And you, you count it in tens of millions, usually, the number of people watching the grand finals. Absolutely. So it's, it is a very, very, very watched program, for sure. I feel like it falls in or around the coronation of King Charles. And I suspect it will probably have more viewers than the coronation of of King Charles. Mm-hmm. I'm just quickly Googling it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I I kind of miss um, the various speeches and announcements and addresses from the Queen. She was kind of like, I don't know, she was charming and she was always optimistic and she knew how to say, you know, be realistic that things aren't perfect without being negative and be optimistic that things will get better without being saccharine. I don't know. It's she had very good speech writers and a very mm-hmm. good delivery. And uh, I I hope that King Charles can be even half as good as she was. Well, he recently was in uh, Berlin presenting to the uh, speaking to the Chancellor of Berlin and former Chancellor Angela Merkel and uh, spoke in German. Uh, of course, when you are the heir to the throne uh, and don't have to pay for anything and have a massive estate that's funded by the taxpayer, it uh, it leaves you some time to learn German. It <laughs> is essentially well. Good news for your the royal enthusiasts and the Eurovision fans. Uh, they are on subsequent weeks. <laughs> so <Okay>. it is <laughs> the first weekend in May is going to be the coronation of King Charles. And the second weekend in May, the event that I'm particularly looking forward to is Eurovision Song Contest. Now, weirdly enough, this is a bit of a nightmare for the auntie, the BBC. Uh, And that is because they are two of the largest live events in broadcasting back to back. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, the BBC hands over its entire schedule, does a massive production for the coronation. And as the broadcaster of Eurovision uh, out of Liverpool, it then rinses, repeats, and does the same thing again. So it's going to be, I don't know, the BBC is going to be have a very, very busy week uh, between those two those two events. Now, what a gay radio show. We don't usually end up talking about King Charles. Uh, I do mm-hmm. talk a lot about Eurovision, but we're going to move on from that. Now, first of all, Last week, I messaged Global Affairs Canada, and uh, we reached out to them regarding... Uh, oh, let me just try and... Make, oh, oh right. Yeah. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, we, we messaged them regarding whether or not they had a statement about uh, the situation in Uganda. And they told us that they would they would respond to us uh, before the show began. And in fact, they responded to us five minutes after we finished... Going live it was actually last week. five minutes before the end of the show. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. 4.55 p.m. Now, the statement, uh, essentially, Uganda has introduced one of the most anti-homophobic, uh, anti-gay laws in the world, giving even mm. Florida a run for its money. 
And uh, we have seen protests in uh, Toronto. I'll play a short clip of that in just a few moments. But we were concerned that where the Secretary of State in the United States had been asking about, uh, you know, essentially what impact this could have on things like the the uh, flow of aid from the United States to Uganda. And in the United Kingdom, members of parliament there were asking about potentially fast-tracking LGBTQ asylum seekers who are looking to flee uh, under this far more oppressive law. Now, the government of Canada has issued us with this following statement. The government of Canada is deeply concerned by the anti-gay legislation that was approved by Uganda's parliament last week. In respective statements, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Foreign Minister Melanie Jolie have both immediately and forcefully condemned the bill on March 22nd. This bill seeks to broadly violate the human rights and fundamental freedoms of LGBTQ plus Ugandans, exposing them to systemic persecution, oppression, violence, as well as increased risk of life terms in prison and the death penalty. Canada stands with LGBTQ plus community in Uganda and around the world and calls on the government of Uganda to revoke this legislation. Canada has unequivocally uh, sorry, Canada also unequivocally opposes the use of the death penalty in all cases, everywhere. It is a form of punishment that is incompatible with human rights and human dignity. As a standard practice, we follow developments such as these very closely and are prepared to take the necessary steps to ensure the safety and security of Canadians. Canada provides funding through organizations that are experienced in supporting vulnerable communities and which work closely with local actors to achieve project goals, despite challenging human rights environments. Now, the, the piece at the end there, that's the end of the quote, uh, the piece at the end there I think relates to my very pointed question about the flow of Canadian aid <laughs> into Uganda about this. So I do appreciate them including some comments uh, and comments on that. Uh, just to close it out, what I will do is mention the statement from uh, Minister Jolie saying the Uganda government's anti-homosexuality, but that, that's the actual name of the bill, uh, mm -hmm. is shocking and yet another example of the discrimination and violence the 2S LGBTQI plus community continues to face. Everyone should be free to who, be who they are and they love who they have and not live in fear because of it. And then, likewise, uh, Justin Trudeau on the 22nd of March tweeted, This legislation passed by the Ugandan Parliament yesterday, known as the Anti-Homosexuality Act, is appalling and abhorrent. No one, nowhere, should have to live in fear because of who they are or whom they love. We strongly urge Ugandan lawmakers to reconsider this legislation. Now, uh, I believe uh, Kristen Wong Tam, who I believe is a Toronto Centre uh, NDP, I want to say MP, um, mm -hmm. was at the protest at uh, Young. Uh, they went through Dundas Square, through Young Street, over to Queen's Park. Uh, we have a small clip that uh, Kristen Wong Tam posted. I'm not sure if we can hear it.
LGBT lives. They've just passed a horrific law that actually criminalizes homosexuality, and we will not stand for it. From Toronto to Kampala, we will resist homophobia and transphobia. Join us, Canadians. Join us. Get loud. Let's defeat this law. So there was a lot going on in the background there, and uh, obviously it being in the middle of a protest. I think what this demonstrates, and there was a, a press uh, conference earlier on the Friday, what this demonstrates is that there is a very strong, very large and vocal uh, Ugandan expatriate community uh, here in Canada, lots of Ugandans um, living in uh, in places such as Toronto and other major urban centers. Um, and this is incredibly concerning. You know, mm-hmm. this is unbelievably concerning, especially when we consider that under this law now in Uganda, if you don't out and hand over your loved ones to prosecutors and uh, the police, you yourself could face fines and uh, potential uh, other very serious consequences. So this could become a uh, a witch hunt against entire families, uh, against uh, people who are disagreed with in the, you know, in the community. Um, It is a horrific law. Uh, Two Mm -hmm. of the lawmakers in Uganda pointing out, obviously, that it would be amazing if this even passes constitutional muster, uh, Mm -hmm. let alone uh, decent human rights. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, seen any more on it. Uh, the only thing that I've seen, uh, one of the things that concerns me is uh, if we are taking refugees, what will be the port of escape? Because many of the neighboring countries equally have uh, harsh laws, maybe not laws quite as harsh. The one exception uh, that I've been able to find is actually uh, Mozambique, which is one of their direct neighbors, have recently decriminalized same-sex relationships. So Mozambique could be a, a port of escape. Uh, Angola and Botswana as well, but they're not. That I think Sudan is between Uganda and Angola, Botswana, and then Lesotho, which is surrounded by South Africa. At which point, you may as well just be in South Africa, which would definitely be a safe port of escape. And that's actually something that that always concerns me when you have crises like this: is will the neighboring countries allow aid to at least pick people up for escape from there? And in some cases, like in Chechnya, many of the neighboring countries were not willing. So people would have to go pretty far in order to escape from the Chechen region. And this is actually one of the things that really worries me about Uganda. We we can we can offer to take in more refugees, but how will they get here? Mm. So I know that there are, um, you know, they, they could go to embassies or the other one. Consulates. Uh, pardon? Consulates? consulates that's right um in uganda and try to try to present themselves to to those facilities but they may have their their gates shut by the mm-hmm. ugandan government and i don't know the, the whole thing is pretty concerning um well we... i haven't heard that much but i do know that south africa is is has been putting together a case about what to do about this and, and trying to, to confer with other neighboring countries on, on how to treat the situation. Well, the pressure on Uganda is certainly mounting, mm-hmm. uh, mounting, not mounting, uh, mounting mm-hmm. with Google, Microsoft and a raft of other companies that form the uh, Open for Business Coalition. Now, these major employers have said, look, it's going to be that much more difficult to, first of all, have business in Uganda. 
Uh, mm-hmm. especially with the impact that it has in terms of hiring, keeping, and uh, hosting talented employees uh, mm-hmm. under this threat of, uh, of uh, this law. Um, they also point out that this kind of law has a severe impact on the, on the economy. They point actually towards a study on Kenya which does have anti-gay laws. And the 2019 study found that the Kenyan uh, uh, economy lost the equivalent of 1.7% of its GDP annually as a result of businesses and others not operating in that country as a direct result of its anti-gay legislation. So if if the human rights angle and the let's mm-hmm. not persecute people literally to death uh, argument doesn't mm-hmm. go very far, maybe the international tax dollars uh, and and business dollars will convince uh, Museveni, uh, the president of Uganda, to not sign this particular law. I mean, economics is one of the arguments for decriminalizing homosexuality in Canadian history. So in the mm-hmm. 60s and 70s, back when you could be arrested simply for being gay, uh, they actually started crunching the numbers and found that the cost on the police force, I don't have the numbers in front of me because it didn't occur to me to look them up before this episode, but they actually did crunch the numbers and they found that it was incredibly expensive per arrest. The amount of investigation and fact-finding and confirmation and blah, 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 that goes into the usual kind of arrest. It was incredibly expensive just to put somebody in prison. And they started having to ask themselves whether or not the cost was worth it. And if you are a country that has a struggling GDP due to other reasons as well, which there are regional issues in East Africa. And actually, one of the major problems that uh, you get to have is that if you look at a topographic map, it's just really hard to build trains and boats. Like moving goods around the country is really difficult. It's not an easy country to navigate. So they're going to have problems no matter what. But anyway, um, it seems you like really a need cutting this your nose to... to spite your face kind of uh, yeah, situation. It, it's another drain. There's other ways. I don't know. It, it's. I was about to say there's other ways of accomplishing the same thing, but I don't think we want that. But it, it's it's more to the point that it's just so incredibly expensive to enforce this kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Well, to some, what, to some what have, end? Yeah. To what benefit? Some have argued that this is just politically low-hanging fruit. This is mm-hmm. uh, creating a boogeyman, in this case a very gay boogeyman, uh, mm-hmm. to distract from actual issues that parliamentarians in Uganda are opting not to focus on. So it doesn't matter if they catch people. They just have to look like they're trying to catch people. Yeah, look busy so that they don't look too closely at what you're actually doing or not doing. I mean, every government in the world is doing that to some degree, but not Are you all trying to the suggest that, that the government of rights? Canada or the Ontario government is just looking busy on occasions and not actually being productive? Yeah, but without the human rights abuses. So, well, I mean, I mean in the grand scheme of busy work... Look. Yeah... All right, building, arguing over a bridge that should exist, and everyone agrees it should exist, but people still argue it over anyway. That that is a very different beast from this. Absolutely, no, absolutely. All right, before we jump to uh, the, you know what? Let's tackle a recent brouhaha in Vancouver just after our first track. This is Larissa Music's Joan of Arc. And uh, let me find the right button here. And we will be back just after this. You never step in the same river twice, no. 
Hello and welcome back to Can Queer, home of Canada's queer medium. My name remains Luke Smith. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. And I see you're wearing your shirt that says love on it. Uh, no, I think these, these are just, these are just um, paint, paint stripes. Yes, in uh, Japanese calligraphy. No, I don't think they are. Are they? Is that really? I, you know... Yeah, that's Japanese calligraphy. Oh, well, I just thought that they were just like <laughs> dashing, dashing splotches of paint stripe. Uh, it, 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 it's worse. To, I mean, I'm, I'm going to sound incredibly insensitive. Now, our audience can't physically see me because, of course, mm -hmm. and you can uh, over oh. Zoom here. Um, but my shirt has a number of dashes, swirls, mm -hmm. twirls that don't look remotely like words or even symbols. But yes. somewhere on my body, you have found what looks like... Is it this Is it this bit here? Yeah, it's also on your sleeve. It's also on your collar. It's oh. repeating all over. Um, what does it say? It says love. Oh, okay. Well, I'm okay with that. That's, that checks out. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. All right. <laughs> or I in, in, in Japanese. But yeah, that's uh, grass-style uh, calligraphy. It's, uh, it's actually pretty well done, too. It's a beautiful shirt. I saw it, yeah. and I was like, ooh, that's a beautiful shirt. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. Uh, picked it up, and it's got this... It's a really nice, like, uh, stretching material. I want to say spandex, but not spandex. You know when you get clothes that have, like, you know, 3 or 4% spandex in it, and it's got that nice bit of... Uh, mm -hmm. Stretch. It's a, yeah. Anyway, enough about and my shirt like that no one can see. And it looks like the color is halfway between like navy and eggplant. It's a very interesting dark blue. Yeah, it's more like a. a, a it splits the difference between black and navy. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a oh, close. Let me hang on a second. My poor listeners are gonna have to. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. Yeah. 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 I see. Yeah. 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 There we go. Of course, we're using the medium of radio uh, to describe my choice of shirt today. So that's uh, that's where we're at, which is a much more pleasant conversation than where we're going next. In Vancouver this past weekend was, well, it was everywhere. It wasn't just in Vancouver. It was the Trans Day of, uh, so the International Day of Trans Visibility. Yes. The whole point of this day before the 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 raft of anti-trans legislation that has sprung up um really like oh just i mean it's it's it must be contagious this anti-trans legislation it seems to be the cause de jour in terms of legislative priorities right now for no for no apparent reason but that being said uh, despite that, uh, Trans Day of Remembrance was uh, sorry, Trans Day International Trans Day of Visibility. I get there in the end, is more about spotlighting some of the challenges. We spoke before about how trans folks are usually significantly more educated, but they're under or unemployed. Mm -hmm. You know, we spoke before about how when you survey homelessness populations the number of folks who are trans or trans-identified is above the average. So they're overrepresented in homeless populations and so on and so forth. And the list goes on, you know, in terms of negative health outcomes, negative social outcomes, uh, adversely overrepresented in the trans community. That was the point of the day, just being like, hey, these things happen, we're not sure why, maybe we should try and do something so that trans folks aren't specifically targeted, isolated, and have some realistic supports. That's where it was. That's the sort of genesis of the day. And uh, But with the politics evolving 
and that sort of confrontational politics that we find ourselves in now, things have got a bit uh, got a bit rough. So, the Vancouver Police Department is looking for witnesses for what have been called violent confrontations at the Trans Day of Visibility in Vancouver. So I believe it was, uh, uh, the CBC has described it as a scuffle. Uh, Clearly the the CBC and the Vancouver Police (laughs) have very different definitions of uh, what they go by. What is the scuffle to the media is a violent confrontation to the police. Um, But anyway, it was over at Grandview Park, uh, if anyone is familiar with uh, Vancouver well enough to be able to do that. Now, Vancouver Police did release two videos. I cannot play one of the videos on account of the atrocious language being hurled around. Uh, at Mm -hmm. this rather violent moment. But I will give you a sense of the environment there uh, on this second video. Let's see if we can get that going. Oh, you know what? I'm going to try and get it going with the mute of the actual video. (laughs) Of Okay, let's try that again. Now, I, I... think that one was uh that one certainly didn't have a trigger warning on it compared to the other one mm-hmm. uh, at least one protester was thrown to the ground uh there were multiple incidents where riley goers according to the vancouver police department confronted a group of counter protesters uh there were about 75 to 100 people gathered at this event now, Vancouver police were there on site. Uh, the CBC was there on site. Um, and lots of people witnessed this particular uh, incident. Uh, they've reached out to a victim who posted the video uh, and invited them to respond. They have released images of two people in particular that they would like to to interview. But... I think the reason why I bring this up, because, of course, it is very concerning when, you know, uh, scuffles slash violent confrontations break out um, at uh, what what really ought to be a rather innocuous awareness-raising event. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I find it incredibly disheartening that the politics on this has become so divisive yeah that yeah. scuffles slash violent confrontations are now breaking out um yep. across the board looking at the footage because it's it's on repeat on the the vancouver police website um the two protesters the the two people they're looking for seem to be from opposite sides of the picket line so there's one uh individual who grabs somebody by the throat uh and that individual is holding a rainbow flag and a trans flag and the other person in the other video assaulted somebody who is wearing who's holding a trans flag so i mean it seems to be just civility in general is breaking down um and didn't it used to be that when you had two groups like this they had to keep a certain distance apart so that they this kind of thing wouldn't happen i don't know like i i've seen protests before where the police are like you can stand over there you have the right to speak you can stand over there you have the right to speak keep x number of meters apart don't touch each other and everything will be fine and that seems to have just flown out the window here all the yeah, police are standing what, whatever happened to snarky placards you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like you know chanting things that almost rhyme 
and holding up placards that are illegible at 30 feet. Like, that yes. is that is what I believe, you know, a, a protest is really about. But don't get me wrong here. These are yep. folks who are have firmly held beliefs, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just, it seems to be reaching a bit of a fever pitch. And it's mm-hmm. not just in Vancouver. So yep. this past weekend, past, past weekend, uh, in... Ottawa, actually, I don't know if you were aware of this, but the Ottawa Carlton District School Board, which is the public school board in Ottawa, uh, nation's capital, they had uh, a a board meeting several months ago. I think we vaguely recalled uh, recalled it. And nowhere near on the agenda, uh, somebody interrupts, uh, sort of looking to speak on a topic, but then interjects talking about the ability for trans students to go and use the washroom of their identified gender. Mm-hmm. Now, important context here is, uh, first of all, this is, you know, it's a high school. No one's actively, if anyone is actively policing the washrooms, I, su- I suspect it's to make sure that uh, vapes aren't being vaped and uh, TikToks aren't being toctic in these spaces. Uh, you know, they're not, uh, you know, it's not the Gestapo. But we, we have... Um, an environment now and and in ontario uh, the the human rights act of ontario is pretty clear on this in terms of people being able to use the washroom for which they identify so the mm-hmm. law is written the law is mm-hmm. settled law if you disagree with it you can bring it up with the ontario provincial legislature and look to have it changed there mm-hmm. but it is what it is and all of the schools in all of the province have to follow these same guidelines and the same mm-hmm. law that being said a number of people took an opportunity on an unrelated topic at the oral Carlton district school board to protest the ability of trans people to use the washroom from which they identify. Uh, That meeting got shut down. This past weekend, there was a meeting to now address this issue, Uh, even though the school board has repeatedly stressed that they are simply following the law and their hands are effectively tied here by by legislation and uh, by court decisions that reaffirm that legislation. Um, About 300 people showed up at the Ottawa Carlton District School Board meeting. Only 75 of them were able to get in. Uh, OCDSB mm-hmm. uh, had a metered process to avoid the room just becoming uh, overwhelmed. Uh, it seemed to be a, a battleground of pride flags meets Bibles uh, in the parking lot to the OCDSB uh, meeting. But I bring it up because these, th- thankfully there was neither a scuffle nor a violent confrontation uh, as far as being reported in uh, in Ottawa, but these sort of uh, peaked debates mm-hmm. are, are happening all over the place, and uh, I just I wonder how we can encourage cooler heads to prevail, including hockey. Yes, yes. Well, we can move on to that topic because yeah. that's been yeah. an interesting. Well, uh, I mean, event. as for cooler heads, one of the issues is that there is a general process, and this is. I've seen everybody blaming it on absolutely everyone, but it seems to be just a general problem these days. Actually, what really kills me is when when people blame this on Trump. And this this problem predates the presence of Donald Trump by quite some time. And all roads leading back to him is just cheap. But um, there has been this 
this sort of 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 let's call it rhetorical strategy of sticking your fingers in your ears and just trying to yell louder than the other side hmm. and that has been going on in many domains on uh all sides i don't want to say both sides because sometimes there's more than two angles on this but you get this from all sides you will listen to me or you will shut up and that's not how you convince people that's not how you win hearts and minds i mean it's it's kind of interesting that for some of the more critical places like human rights issues in places like uganda people are sitting down and thinking out well-reasoned well-argued uh evidence-driven standpoints you know here's where you're going to lose money here's where you benefit here's how society improves here's the ways that this is not useful instead of just yelling at each other and it has been this sort of and a lot of people blame it on social media that it, it the the idea of curated information and that you watch something and then all of a sudden you're going to get fed similar things and now you're in a bubble and now you have a mindset and of course, everybody who doesn't think like you must be stupid. And that's mm -hmm. that's just a human thing that if you don't understand somebody else's point of view, your assumption is going to be that they're stupid or crazy. Not that they have different information from you, not that they have a different belief, not that they have a different personality or a different worldview, just that they're stupid or crazy and they must be corrected. Instead of just like sitting down and being like, okay, why do you believe what you believe? I don't think there's been a lot of that lately. Mm. It reminds and it's very me, frustrating. It reminds me. I think it's Plato's cave. It's somebody's cave. It's one. It's the philosophical idea behind essentially an echo chamber, and it's this. Uh, I'm going to butcher my recollection. I mean, I'm talking about you know grade twelve philosophy. You're trying to trying to recall mm -hmm. this example, but essentially, imagine you're at the bottom of a cave with uh, your your family, and out at the top of the cave, you can see shadows moving. And you were told that they are monsters, and therefore nobody leaves the cave because these shadow things are monsters. And uh, but it's only when you leave and realize that it's you know the the sun shifting a, a tree in the breeze that uh, that you see that outside of your tunnel vision or cave vision uh, mm -hmm. that the world is very different. You know, but mm -hmm. I bring this up as an example because this is not a new philosophical idea. That, that what we're no. struggling with now seems to be these these echo chambers and these amplified um, group things that are, are really struggling. Me and you mm -hmm. do not always agree. That's correct. Um, we do, well, I don't know. Is it correct? That is remains to be seen. But we do we do sometimes I disagree. I hate your taste in hot sauces. I hate your taste in politics. But that's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, why do you have to go there? <laughs> that was a joke. That was a joke. Um, uh, I tolerate it, but that's. <laughs> but no, it's it's the point is we can build connections and uh, build joy, and I yeah. do want to kind of frame out. This this, this conversation but we also understand why each other believes what we believe and even if we disagree with the like there are things that you believe i'm like i don't agree with that but i understand why you believe that that mm. makes sense to me that you believe that mm -hmm. and that's that's okay that that's 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 how you make peace and yes. really we don't disagree on that much really yeah i mean actually the things we disagree on the most are the things that we agree on but we disagree about why yes <laughs> those, those are usually when we have heated debates which is weird but anyway so I wanted to close out with a good story, a relatively mm -hmm. good story that came out of this past weekend. And that okay. is from Prince Edward Island. Now, in PEI, about 200 people marched through Charlottetown, which I think is, what, like a four-minute walk? Like, it's, you know, it was... That, that's 
the whole of the island, essentially, mm-hmm. marched through Charlottetown in solidarity with the trans community that lives there. Members of that community wanted to have a walk to demonstrate that they exist in that community. Their friends and family showed up. Other people in the community was like, yeah, no, that's that sounds like a fun thing to do on a Saturday afternoon. And they joined in. Was mm-hmm. there, there was no scuffles. There was mm-hmm. no violent confrontations. Uh, there was no, um, you know, violence of any kind. There were almost certainly people who disagreed. Yeah. Um, but they just, you know, kept their opinions to themselves. They stayed home and watched the hockey because they exactly. had better things to do. Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what, it, what it is. You know, if you wanted to march down the street and advocate for... I don't know, uh, increased funding for farmers so that uh, it's less of a struggle to be able to get by. Do that. Absolutely do that. You know, if you want to advocate for the rights of the child and be able to make your own decisions in, in ways that are appropriate to age, you know, absolutely do that. I think we can advocate for things that we believe in without bringing others down in mm-hmm. scuffles or violent confrontations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm going to get on a T-shirt. Scuffles of violent confrontations. Yes. Um, and uh, we'll go from there. Um, yeah, so there are a couple of other Canadian news stories, but I think what we'll do is we'll take a small break here and uh, we'll jump to the next track. This is Easier to Leave by The Pairs, and we shall be back just after this.
Welcome back to Cancun, home of Canada's queer medium. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Now, uh, I did want to quickly mention that we do have a eye on Norwich, Ontario. Mm -hmm. They are in yet another debate as to whether or not to have pride flags. Last year, uh, a gentleman that ended up doing a community service uh, as a result of his penchant for taking down and damaging and uh, stealing and, and uh, what have you, pride flags. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, he was caught and uh, has done some community service to repay his debt to that community. Uh, but a local councilman there has uh, suggested that maybe to avoid uh, this happening again, maybe there will be no flags. Mm -hmm. No flags for anybody except for the province, the feds, and the municipality. And obviously, there are people in the community who disagree. It was like, well, you know, is it all or nothing? Uh, how about you just don't tear them down and burn them? That's also a solid approach to city <laughs> flag yeah, policy. Yeah, we, we had this discussion last year as well, because one of the arguments is uh, if you put up a flag for this community, that means you have to put up a flag for every community, which means you have to build more flagpoles. And then what if two communities want their flag up at the same time? Then what do you do if you don't have enough flagpoles? Like, blah, 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 the whole bunch of things. And then there's a bunch of communities who basically say, the feds, the province, the municipality only. Mm -hmm. um, and if you want to put any flags up in your own window, we will not stop you. Because really what this is about is official flagpoles and the those banner things that you hold, you hang flagpoles from off of like streetlights. Well, that, like that was it. It was the Norwich yeah. BIA, the Business Improvement Association that had put up these pride flags. Mm -hmm. And then half of them got torn down and damaged. Now, if the BIA and those local businesses around pride, which is very colorful, fun times, mm -hmm. wants to put pride flags, I think they absolutely should be able to do that. Uh, and I think it is pretty reasonable. I feel like this is, I, I don't know what, what, what year we're in here, but mm -hmm. I feel like it is a reasonable assumption to not break the law, tear mm -hmm. down and damage the property that isn't yours. Like, I, I just, I feel like if we just start there with basic law abiding, I think we're in a good place. I feel like that's a solid, solid position to be in. But there we go. That's just my okay, crazy. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, crazy, yeah, yeah. My crazy take on it. Well, why don't we move to some hockey now i am uh, it may surprise our listeners uh but i am not the the most avid hockey fan here i'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not i don't watch every every game um but on this occasion i'm actually i err on the side of 
these hockey players that are choosing not to wear jerseys. In mm. particular, the Vancouver Canucks, oh, oh that's things called the Vancouver Canucks, their forward, Andre Kuzemko, uh, Kuzmeko, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, who is Russian and has family yes. in Russia, has yep. opted not to wear or participate the warm-up ahead of the annual Pride game uh, in Calgary. Now, the Canucks are going to be wearing a special Pride-themed jersey that was designed and created locally. Uh, mm-hmm. It is very much a moment of encouragement in those communities. We're not going to dive too much into it. I think the current by the CBC did a fantastic uh, segment on this. Um, but essentially, uh, um, Andre has decided not to participate, and uh, I'm I'm actually okay with that. I think that maybe we shouldn't be forcing people to wear pride outfits. But at yes. the same time, I think as an institution, they need to demonstrate, because even surveys done as recently as a few months ago indicate that gay men are not comfortable in these changing rooms and on the ice necessarily um, until there's a culture shift. So there's still a need, mm-hmm. but I think we can balance that need with institutional change, cultural change, and not necessarily pinning someone down and forcing a you know a, a pride's uh uniform on top of them you know i think that there's a balance that can be found here yeah it, it's really interesting there's always this assumption that we need to go top down but when you look at things like hockey like historically hockey was kind of famously white middle class men's sport but then you look at the minor leagues and you see a lot of indigenous hockey players and you see a lot of non-white non-indigenous hockey players as well in the minor leagues and it's this is kind of a place where if you start from the bottom up and you encourage more diversity and more open doors in the minor leagues which is easier to do uh, not to be cynical but there's less money on the line um you have more freedom to 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 do that sort of thing and you do have teams i mean it depends on what province you're in and what minor league you're looking at but there are minor leagues that are exclusively indigenous and why not 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 leagues, sorry. Um, teams that are exclusively indigenous, and why not? You know, it's a local team. If you're from a reservation, all the locals are going to be from the reservation. It makes sense. So you could do really interesting things there, and a lot of the people in the major leagues come up through the minor leagues. So if it's easier to shift the culture in the minor leagues, because it's sort of like, you know, Iceland and New Zealand does interesting stuff with politics because they're tiny countries. It's easier to move. Mm. Um. You could do that kind of strategy as well as as bringing people up through the minor leagues and and focusing on making the minors a more warm and friendly place, which they kind of are already anyway. There, there's plenty of of uh, black Canadian hockey players already in the minor leagues and a, a couple in the major leagues, but they all started by having the minor leagues being more welcoming. So that that old story of of hockey as a white man sport really started shifting from the bottom up. And I think having this sort of institutional top down wear the jersey or else, I don't think that's gonna I don't think that's gonna win any hearts. Well, I think that there's a role to play for the NHL and these teams to say, look, homophobia is frankly not accepted here. And I think everyone has made that very clear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that there is also something to be said for um changing that institutional mindset. Mm -hmm. And essentially saying, like, look, this is, we are an accepting sport. But being an an, an accepting sport includes 
if certain players choose in that moment not to uh, wear a pride uh, jersey, especially if their family or their religion indicates uh, that maybe yeah. that's not the best idea. I think the jersey should be made available. Absolutely. And those who choose to wear them should be allowed to wear them. And mm -hmm. to be fair, I think if you want to also release a special version that has like a black square for, for Black History Month, or if you want to do something for uh, Women's Day, having something to do with like pink sleeves or something, like if you want to do the whole gambit, orange for various kinds of uh, indigenous awareness kinds of, of I, I don't actually, I don't think there is an indigenous awareness thing during the hockey season, but I mean, whatever, you could just choose a day and do that. Make that available so that people can choose to opt into it instead of like, I don't know, why just pride? I mean, that is something that's kind of weird, but, um, but if people opt into it and you can actually see that some people choose to wear it, that makes it look more welcoming because these are people doing it by choice, mm -hmm. not by edict. Well, there have been multiple surveys that have found that folks are not always comfortable to participate and join in with the sport. Mm -hmm. And these are efforts by the leagues to make things more inviting. You know, hockey yeah. is for everyone is really the, the mantra of this campaign. But mm -hmm. I think it goes both ways. I don't think we should be forcing this uh, young Russian man to, to wear a pride jersey if he doesn't want to. And likewise, mm -hmm. I think we should be making sure that those locker rooms are somewhere that everyone feels comfortable in. Unfortunately, right. that's all we've got time for today. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. Oh, what are we listening to? <laughs> We're playing out with Sherry Harding's Don't Tell Me How to Feel. And uh -huh. uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be said with that tone, but that's the name of the song, Don't Tell Me How to Feel by Sherry Harding. And uh, I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening.